Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri, and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. In this series, The Church, an Ancient Future, we are casting vision for a future church that will be relevant in a changing culture by learning ancient truths from the early days of Christianity. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. What's up, Abundant Life? How you doing today? Y'all came to the late service, so y'all don't even need that extra hour of sleep, right? Well, it's so good to see you. My name's Journey, and it's, it really is kind of an honor. Not kind of, it is an honor to be back. Um, what's been really cool for me today is I've seen a lot of familiar faces, which is cool. Um, but I've seen a lot of unfamiliar faces. So for those of you that don't know me or why I'm here, uh, I, was, uh, I came to Abundant Life for the first time my senior year of high school in August of 2003, and there were 333 people there that day. And uh, a few years later, I came on staff. I was 20 years old when they hired to be a middle school pastor. You can believe that. I wasn't even legal yet. <laughs> they hired me to be a middle school pastor uh, my wife and I met here. Uh, we didn't have our babies here, but we, that would have been weird. Uh, but we did, we drove, they're, they're drug babies, you know. We drug them babies here every week and uh, enjoyed having our kids in, uh, in Journey Kids Ministry. I was on staff for 11 years. And then a few years ago, God um, really just put a burden on our heart to go and start something new. And it aligned with a vision that God had put on Phil's heart. And I'll tell you more about that. Um, our church, Discover Church, north of the river, but just super glad to be here. I'm super thankful for Abundant Life. I'm very thankful for Pastor Phil um, and the influence he's had on my life. You know, it's uh, a few years ago, I was in the process of hiring. Uh, we were in the process of hiring somebody. We actually hired Tashawn uh, at the end of that hiring process. And I remember doing all the interviewing. And I, I told Phil, I said, Phil, we're interviewing all these 22, 23, 24-year-old kids. And they just, I mean, they're wide-eyed and bushy-tailed, but they don't know anything. Not Tashawn. Tashawn knew a lot. Tashawn was great. I mean, he really elevated. I said, Phil, I can't believe that you hired me to be a middle school pastor when I was 20 years old. He said, well, Jern, buddy, there's a reason why we haven't done that again. Understood, <laughs> understood. But no, I'm just, I'm grateful for Abundant Life. You know, it's, it's easy to, to, you know, see the things that are going on here at Abundant Life and, and see how many people show up, uh, lives that are being changed. It's easy to look at um, the way that Abundant Life is impacting the community surrounding them and, and missions across the, the globe and to, to walk away and just kind of be impressed by it. And then those are all really good and awesome things. But can I just tell you, as someone who, uh, had a had a, an opportunity to be on the on the bus for a long time. One of the things that that I believe is the most impressive thing is that starting with Phil, but the rest of the ministry team, um, what you see really is what you get. And at the core of it is is a group of people who um, don't take themselves too seriously, that really love the Lord, that really love people, and want to help people understand about the power of Jesus in their life. Um, and you're just blessed to have them. Uh, as, as your ministry team. You're blessed to have Phil. And Phil, I'm grateful for I don't know where you are today. I know you're visiting some other campuses, but I just want you to know from my heart, I'm so thankful for you and the influence and impact you've had on my life. I'm a better man. I'm a better pastor because of it. And I'm humbled that you'd allow me to come and speak on this subject today. Um, you guys have been in this series called The Church, An Ancient Future, which is an awesome title. I'm going to steal that at some point at my church. Um, but you've been learning about the first church. You've been learning about the ancient church and how the things that they did then um, connect and, and, and really apply to where we are today in society and how you and I are called to live as followers of Jesus. And the particular message that I want to bring today um, is this idea, the, the, the movement of Jesus. That's the title of the message today. Um, and what I want to do is I want to help us to see how is it possible? You know, most historians don't doubt the fact that Jesus lived. There's a lot of debate on exactly who he was and, and you know, what he was. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to get past the fact that, that in the course of human history, empires rise and fall, kings and, 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 and dictators and rulers come and go, usually because of some overwhelming military might or incredibly impressive political prowess. But somehow, 
The movement of Jesus and the name of Jesus is known across the world even though he was a poor Jewish carpenter and he never assumed any type of political position or ever took any military action. Yet despite all of that, it's hard to find a place in the globe that isn't somehow influenced or impacted by the way that he lived and and what he taught. And I believe that there's a reason for that. I believe that there was a spark to this moment that we're gonna talk about in just a second, but not just a spark, there was, there was this philosophy that served as a fuel to the Jesus movement that is passed down from generation to generation of Jesus people that continues today. And, and we, as the Jesus people of today, have an opportunity to step into this movement by continuing to orient our lives around this philosophy. And so that's where we're going today. And I wanna unpack it. We're gonna connect some dots of what it means for us Um, But as we go along, I want to get started with this idea. What was the spark? What was the spark that launched the Jesus movement? Well, I I believe the the spark that launched it was was Jesus' resurrection. It was the reality that Jesus died and then he did something that most dead men don't do. He came back. And he walked and talked and lived for a little bit and then he went up to heaven. Like that doesn't normally happen on a normal Sunday. At least in my life. Maybe that's normal for you, but it's not normal for me. And for me, it's, it's the reality of the resurrection of Jesus that serves as an anchor for my faith personally. And I'm going to tell you something that I, I, I don't know. It's probably, I'm probably breaking some kind of bro code a little bit here uh, amongst pastors that I'm probably not supposed to say this. But let's be honest. I don't care because in about an hour I'm going to leave and y'all never see me again. And so, um, but here's the deal. I, about once... Once every year, year and a half, I'll have these moments where I'm reading the Bible and I'm praying and I'm praying about something. And, and I'll have kind of this, this little, small little crisis of faith. And I'll think, God, am I crazy? Because God, if you're not real and if Jesus didn't really die and if he didn't really come back from the grave, then, then basically I have, well, I've given an inordinate amount of my life to talking to what could maybe most graciously could be called as my imaginary friend. And Jesus, if you didn't really come back from the grave, then not only have I oriented my life around trying to get to know my imaginary friend, but as a chosen profession, I've tried to convince as many people as possible to believe that my imaginary friend is actually real. And not only that, that they should orient their entire lives around him and go wherever he says to go. And if, if the resurrection didn't happen, then I'm crazy. But I believe that the resurrection did happen. And that it provides an anchor that, that is as powerful as the word of God is. It's not the word of God that I place my faith on. It's, it's a moment, it's an event that actually happened that changed the course of human history and elevated Jesus above all other religious or political or military type figures that he was totally different, that he wasn't just a man, but that he was fully God and fully man. And then he went to the cross and came back from the grave and launched a movement that has continued on to this day. Thankfully, Scripture records for us that this happens, and perhaps most importantly, doesn't just record that it happened, it records what happened after it happened. In Luke chapter 24, verse 36, it says this, Now they said these things, and Jesus himself stood in the midst of them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Now you would have too. All right? Because to put all of this in in a little bit of understanding, Jesus had died and the the disciples had watched him die. And then it's the third day, it's Sunday. Jesus died on Friday, it's Sunday now. And there have been threats of arrest and and further punishment and crucifixion of Jesus' followers. And they're freaked out. And somebody went to the grave and saw that he wasn't in there. They came back and told everybody, everybody's in the midst of freaking out what happened to Jesus and they're all in a room where the doors are closed and the windows are locked and Jesus shows up. How y'all doing? Now, I just, what you need to know about me is I spent the majority of my childhood in Arkansas. Man, there are some holy people in this church. Woo pig suey. So basically what you need to know about me is that there's times I'm going to say things that just don't make sense. And that's okay. 
Y'all just look at me, stare at me like a bunch of old cows staring at a new gate. We'll laugh about it. We'll move on. All right. So, so sometimes just laugh and it'll be okay. I promise. But Jesus shows up and they freak out. They're like, it's a ghost. Jesus goes, no, it's not a ghost. Notice what he says. He says to them, verse 38, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for spirit does not have flesh and bones as you have. Jesus showed up into the room that everything is closed off and locked off. And he's, he said, hey, well, what's going on? Why are you freaking out? It's me. Come and touch me. Jesus always invites us closer. He always invites us to consider the evidence. He always invites us to, to, to look under the hood and see what's going on because he's not scared about what you're going to find. And so he tells the disciples, come and look at my hands, look at my feet, look at my side, touch me and see that it is really me. And not only this, just a little bit later, we find that Peter is preaching to the masses. He's, he's in, the, in the synagogue and he's preaching to, to thousands of people. And he basically says this message. Listen, the same Jesus whom y'all killed, y'all arrested him, y'all crucified him, you murdered him. He says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 32. And this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. So what he's saying is, listen, you could call me crazy if it was just me, but it's not just me. Jesus appeared to hundreds of people before he ascended back into heaven. And Peter is there saying, listen, it is not just myself. It's all of us. We all saw this and we are his witnesses that the man whom you arrested, whom you crucified, whom you murdered is alive. And that changes everything. The reality of it is, is that the news of the most infamous man in Jerusalem being arrested and crucified would have spread a little bit. But the news of the most infamous man in Jerusalem who was arrested and crucified, but is back, well, now that's going to spread like wildfire, and it did. The problem is, is that a lot of people today have a hard time understanding exactly what it was that Jesus launched. There's a mindset that says that Jesus, Jesus did all this to launch a religion. But here's the reality. Jesus did not come to start a religion. Jesus came to display God's love. You see, here's why this is transformational. Because up until that day, all the Jews had ever known was this religious system that said, because of your sin, you are separated from me, you are distant from me. The only way that you're ever gonna get favor from me is if you do all the right things and you make all the right sacrifices and you're a good Jew and you do all the things that you're supposed to do. But even still, you're not gonna get any access to me. You're gonna have to go through an intermediary. And you're gonna go through these intermediaries called priests and they're gonna play a significant role in your life. And the only way that you will ever really know that I really care about you is when bad things don't happen because I have received your sacrifice. But when Jesus showed up, he changed all of that and said, no, 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 the time for that is over because now I've come and I've made it possible that regular, ordinary, jacked up, busted, messed up, addicted people with bad finances and bad decisions and bad marriages and wayward children and broken careers and broken situations can experience the love of the Father. That's what Jesus came to do. He didn't come to start a religion. He came to display the love of God for the world to know and the world to see. And so we need to understand that this this movement started with a moment. It was the resurrection. But there was a fuel that fueled the movement. There was a philosophy that was behind it. I want to help you understand the philosophy. Turn to John chapter 12. And when you go to John chapter 12, I'm going to provide a little bit of context. This is the beginning of Holy Week. It's Sunday. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's riding on the back of a donkey. People are shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God. They're they're, they're laying palm branches down as he's walking into the city or he's riding into the city. That's why they call it Palm Sunday, by the way. And all the angry church people, the the, the Pharisees, they're sitting back going, "Mm -mm, no way, we don't do that here. Mm -mm." They go to the disciples and they say, hey, listen, y'all need to tell them to turn the volume down. And the disciples were like, we ain't going to do it. If you got a problem with the volume of praises of of King Jesus, now you're going to hate heaven. And so the disciples went on and said, we ain't going to do it. We ain't going to tell them to turn it down. We're going to tell them to turn it up. There was such a stir about Jesus that these Greek men, non-Jews, they come into Jerusalem. Now, what you got to understand, this is crazy. This, this wouldn't happen. There's no place for, for non-Jewish people in the religious system that God had established. And for non-Jewish people to even be interested in what's going on in Jerusalem is amazing in and of itself. But these, these Greek men, they come into the city and they come up to the disciples and they're like, listen, we want to meet Jesus. And basically what happens is one of those like, 
Nose goes. I'm not going to be the one to tell Jesus. So they come to this disciple and disciple, I don't know what to do. They hand him off to the next one. The next one goes, I don't know what to do. They hand him off to Peter and Andrew. And Andrew's like, we don't know what to do. Let's go talk to El Jefe. Let's talk to the boss man. They go to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, there's these, there's these Greek men. They're non-Jews and they want to meet you. What are we supposed to do about that? And Jesus responds with this in John chapter 12. And it says, but Jesus answered saying that the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Basically what he's saying is, is boys, it's time. All the stuff I've been telling you about, the stuff I've been teaching, the hour has now come. The reason why I'm here has now come to fruition and it is time for me to fulfill the purpose that God sent me here to do. That purpose ultimately was to be crucified and to raise from the dead. Verse 24, he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. He, he, he immediately goes to a metaphor that the Jews of their day would have understood as an agrarian society. And basically what he's saying is, is every farmer who's worth their salt knows that, that you, the, the grain of wheat has to fall off of the stalk in order for it to be any good. And if the farmer is unwilling to allow the grain of wheat to fall from the stalk and do anything, then what's going to happen is, is the farmer's going to go to market. He's not going to have anything to sell. If he doesn't have anything to sell, he's not going to have any money to bring home to the mom and the, the wife and the kids. And everybody knows happy wife is happy life. And that's going to create issues. Namely, there's not going to be any food to eat. And so what the farmer knew is that all of the work and all of the toil and all of the sacrifice and all of the effort and all of the work of, of sowing the seed and, and, and cultivating the harvest, it is all for the purpose that the grain of wheat is going to die. It's going to fall to the ground and be buried so that it can produce something more. What he's trying to convey is the idea that, that the farmer can't have and hold and hoard what he's got. At some point, he's got to be willing to let go of some of it for the purpose of having a harvest next year. And if he's unwilling to do that, then there will be no future harvest. He immediately connects the dots and says, listen, here's what you need to understand. If you love your life, you're going to lose it. If you love your life and the blessings and the trappings of this world, if you love the, the financial benefits, if you love the relationships, if you love the connection, even if you love your church, if what you want to do with all of the things that you have experienced is to do what human nature always wants to do, is the same thing that a toddler does when it grabs something and goes, mine. You don't have to teach a toddler how to do that, by the way. Isn't that interesting? The reality of it is, is that we don't really grow up very much as we grow up. Because the mentality that we often have is we want to have that same mentality. We want to have it. We want to hold it. We want to hoard it. We want to keep on to it. If it's, if it's treasured, if it's valuable, if it means something, we want to hold on to it. What Jesus is teaching is that, listen, if you love your life and all of the things in this life and you hold on to it and you embrace it and you keep hold of it, here's what you're going to understand is that you are going to lose your life. What he means is, is that in John chapter 10, verse 10, where this church gets its name, Abundant Life, that, that you're going to miss out on the abundant life that Jesus wants for you so long as you continue to hold on to everything that is the work of your hands. Conversely, he says, but if you would be willing to lose your life for my sake, if you'd be willing to open up and go, God, none of this stuff belonged to me in the first place. I'm going to be willing to open up my hands and, and not be so possessive and, and, and not do some of those things. And I'm going, to, I'm going to allow some things to fall out so that you can take it, you can use it so it can fall to the ground, it can die, it can be buried, it can bear much fruit. What Jesus is teaching is, is that when you begin to live like that, then you begin to experience the fruit in your life that you've never experienced before. And the measure of your life was never, ever, ever about what could be measured by a dollar sign. It was always ever only about how many people are in heaven because of you. The philosophy that Jesus espouses and that he models is this idea. It's the fuel of the movement. It's the idea that it's only when you die that you can ever truly live. What Jesus is teaching is, is he said, listen, for me, this is literal. I'm going to have to die so that you can live. But he doesn't imply and he doesn't demand that you and I are going to have to literally die. He's referring to a, a, a metaphorical death where we would be willing to allow ourselves to die to ourselves, die to our sin, die to our selfish desires, and die to all of our stuff. 
And what he's saying and what he's teaching and what has fueled the movement of Jesus for thousands of years is the idea that it's when the people of Jesus realize that the true life begins the moment that they let go and allow something to die, then something of value can actually live. Now, we can unpack this. We could preach a whole series about this, and I ain't got time for all that. So what I want to do today is I want to share with you two things that I believe are, are kind of application. I want to talk about big picture, what it means for the church as a whole. But then at the end of it, I'm going to kind of get in your Kool-Aid just a little bit, and I'm going to talk about what it means for you. And I hope that's okay, because that's what I'm here for. And if not, we'll be over in 18 minutes. What's the big picture application? What's the macro? I want you to see the macro. The macro is talking about the church. It's the organism. It's the organization. It's the, it's the collective whole of a whole bunch of individuals that have come together for the purpose of, in some way, telling the world about Jesus. And the application for the church is that the church is to live open-handed and outward-focused. This is what Jesus has always, always, always desired for the church. It's for this reason that the church is one of the only organizations that have ever existed in the history of the planet that exists primarily for its non-members. All right, it's not like joining a country club or the YMCA, you don't get any fringe benefits. You don't get a locker with your name on it or a monogram towel or none of that stuff. Instead, what you get is the opportunity to pick up the mantle so that more people can know about Jesus and more people can experience the joy of salvation. That's what's at play here. You've heard Pastor Phil talk about it this way, that the purpose of a kingdom-oriented church is never to be measured by its seating capacity, but by its sending capacity. Or to put it in another way, the purpose of the church was never to pad its membership stats. The purpose and the reason for the church existing is to be a tool in the hands of God so that more people can experience the joy of heaven. That's why it exists. And so this application applies to everything that the church does. The church, God's desire, Jesus' desire for his church is that it would never have a have, a hold, and, and keep mentality. Unfortunately, there are some churches that have that mentality. They'll reach a certain point, and at one point they were willing to lay it all on the line. They were willing to sacrifice and have big faith. But at some point they got comfortable. At some point they said, man, this has cost a lot. At some point they said, this is really exhausting and this is tiring. Why don't we just kick our feet up and just enjoy the fruits of our labor? But the gospel of Jesus does not give the church room to be able to just kick your feet up and relax. Phil said it this way, that the church is not a cruise ship but a battleship. You're supposed to constantly be going back out into the battle. And so what that means is, is that churches have to be willing to be open-handed with, with their missions. One of the things that I have enjoyed, as I've seen over the years being a part of Abundant Life, is that Abundant Life has invested millions of dollars into missions all across the globe. I love the way that Pastor Bill Gibbs talks about it. And he says the sun doesn't set on the ministry of Abundant Life, not because Abundant Life is so great, but because Abundant Life has chosen to live open-handed and outward-focused. Not only are they open-handed with missions, but they're open-handed with ministry. That's the reason why you're able to give away hundreds of Thanksgiving baskets and you're able to do the carnival and so many other things in the food pantry because you're open-handed with your resources to minister to the community in the surrounding area. But not just that, there's also got to be an open-handed and an outward focus when it comes to the ministers within the walls of the church. Ultimately, that's the story of how the church that I get to pastor, Discover Church, came into being. I experienced the benefit of being open-handed with me as a minister when I was a senior in high school and they were trying to help me figure out how to be a leader in the student ministry. I'm like, man, I'm big, I'm awkward. I got a funny name, I'm from a weird place, but okay. I experienced it when I was in college when they invited me to come in and be a part of some internships and they invested in me. And over 11 years while I've been on the staff, they continue to invest in me and my marriage and my family. When the time came that God began to stir something new inside of me, began to kind of pick apart the nest, if you will, I began to realize that my, my long-term future is not at abundant life. Listen, can I tell you something? It's a little unsettling when, when you don't stink at your job and you've got some job security and you're thinking about leaving the job. Furthermore, when you go to those people and have the conversation knowing that it means that they're going to have to move on from you and they're probably going to want to do it sooner than later because everybody knows that that's how it works. Like, okay, you're on your way out. Let's hurry up and get you out so we can get the next person in and do that thing. 
But what I experienced was abundant life continuing to be open-handed and outward focused. In 2017, they gave me a year to do a residency where I was able to learn, man, how do we even do, how do you start a church? I didn't know how to do that. What does it mean to be a pastor? I've been a youth pastor, but what, what are the things I need to know when it comes big picture about being the pastor of a church? In 2018, they launched us out and, and, and after they'd given us just countless amounts of support and encouragement and counseling, not just for me, but for my bride, Jessica, and for our family, they came alongside of us. You came alongside of us to the tune of about $400,000 over two and a half years to help be the seed money to help launch the church, to help us buy the stuff that we need and to cover my salary for two and a half years until the church was able to be on its own two feet and provide not only for me, but for the rest of our staff. That's what it looks like for a church to be open-handed with its resources. Lots of other ways it looks like, but that's what it's looked like in this scenario. And because of that, there's been much fruit. The last time I was on this stage, I had found a quote that I shared with you that I thought was interesting. And it went like this, that any fool can cut open an apple and see, count the amount of seeds that are in it. But only God can count the amount of apples that are in a seed. And what God did in this process of abundant life being willing to be open-handed and outward focused with me and with Jess and with resources and with people, we were able to go up and we can tell, listen, COVID has been crazy for us as it has been forever. Have you heard of that? I think we pretty much all agree about that, right? Ooh, maybe not. Man, the culture of services is very different. The last service laughed at that. And this one, I felt like I just slapped the hornet's nest. <laughs> Moving on. Here's the deal, COVID's been weird for us, it's been hard, we've lost a lot of people that have left our church and gone to other places. We've, we've, we've grieved with families that they've gone through difficulty and loss and um, it's been hard, it's been a struggle for us. I know a lot of people who started churches around about the time that we did that their doors are closed, they don't exist anymore because they, they couldn't make it through it. I don't know why God has seen fit to enable us and allow us to be able to make it through it, but he has. And because of that, I can tell so many stories about how lost people have been saved Saved people have been pastored, pastored people have been trained, and trained people are being mobilized to go live out their faith in the world around them. One of my favorite stories is this one. I've got a picture for you. This is Ryan and his wife, Brooke. When I met Ryan, uh, he was at that point engaged to Brooke. It was his fiance, and uh, this was before COVID. And, and Brooke came up to me and said, Pastor, we'd love for you to marry us. I said, great, let's schedule a time, let's sit down, let's talk. I do that with everybody who wants me to marry them and get to know their story and that kind of thing. And it became clear that Brooke knew Jesus and had a relationship with him and that, Brooke, and that Ryan did not. In fact, I kind of joke with Ryan because I was like, bro, you weren't just agnostic, you were antagonistically agnostic. And he goes, that's fair. We had a conversation and heard their story and how they came together and what they were hoping to do with their life. And I just opened up God's word and I talked to him about how, listen, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that, that Christian should not marry a non-Christian and what it means to be unequally yoked. And I love you, but I can't, I can't perform your wedding. That's an awkward conversation. I said, but here's the deal, bro, I love you. I care about you. I don't know why you keep showing up. When you don't believe like we do, there's something that God is doing in you that caused you to keep showing up to church even though you don't agree with us. A few months later, Ryan calls me. He calls me, preacher man. What's up, preacher man? I said, hey, Ryan. He goes, we need to go to lunch. I said, okay, let's do it. We met at Chipotle. I sat down, Ryan said, I did the thing. I said, Ryan, if I can be honest with you, um, that could mean a lot of different things for you. I don't really know. I don't really know what you mean. And uh, he said, man, I did the Jesus thing. because I'm in. Wow, that's awesome, bro. He began to tell me about how he, the questions he had and how God was answering those questions, things that God was doing in his life. COVID happened, so we weren't able to baptize him. He just got baptized a couple months ago, and, uh, uh, which is awesome, yeah. When he was there, he had a, friend of his, he had invited a friend of his, one of his running buddies, to come to church for his baptism. Three weeks after Ryan's baptism, that friend got saved. You see, I can, this, this is how the movement, you clap for that. This is how the movement continues. It's, 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 it's people 
choosing to, and churches continue to be a part of the movement, to live open-handed and outward-focused. You see, that's the macro, but I want to bring it down to the micro. I want to get into your, to your kitchen, if I can, just a little bit, because here's the micro application for Christians, that for Christians, everybody who calls on the name of Jesus, we have to choose to be open-hearted and obedient. What does this mean? Scripture talks about when we, come, when we trust in Christ for salvation, he uses the heart as a metaphor that he replaces our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and, and, and give, makes us a new creation. What this means is that we've got to be willing to be open-hearted. Lord, where do you want me to go and what do you want me to do? And obedient. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. Now, what I see oftentimes is that there's a lot of people that don't really understand what that means or don't understand how to do that. And I want to try to bust through some barriers today because I believe that God has called you to have a profound impact on the world around you. That there are people who are close to you but far from God that God wants you to help lead into a relationship with Jesus. But I often hear, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. You're a pastor. I'm not, you know, so. Matter of fact, I get this a lot. Hey, Pastor, um, I got one of my friends you know, one of them ones that don't know Jesus. I've been talking to them, and I, I want to I take them to lunch with you so you can talk to them. <laughs> you know, I think of every time that, you know, in baseball, like calling in the reliever from the bullpen, bringing the closer in. I said, listen, you don't have to do that. I'm happy to do that, but you can do that. See, a lot of people don't know that. I want to I break through some things. I think there's some lies that, that Christians believe that are straight from the pit of hell. I want to help you see your story and what Jesus does. You see, Colossians chapter 1 says this, and you, that's anybody who has ever trusted in Jesus, you were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. You understand that you weren't just a, 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 you weren't just a good person who had done some bad things? That according to Scripture, you were an enemy against the almighty God, which by the way is a losing position. And instead of pouring all of his wrath and all of his anger and all of his condemnation against any of the bad stuff that you've done, God chose something else. And what he said is, is it gets to the end of it, that you're not just alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. That's an accounting term that basically means that there was stuff on your ledger over here that didn't enable you to be able to experience the stuff that God wanted for you over here. And because that there was an imbalance, you, you, you're not qualified to be able to understand and appreciate what's on this side of the ledger. And what Jesus did is he he died on the cross, and when he did, he wrote the check to cover the debt that covered this side of the ledger. And at the moment of his resurrection, it proved that there were sufficient funds to cover the debt so that you could be in a new situation. That's what it means to be reconciled. But then he says, in his body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You see, Jesus came so that, so that you could experience a new kind of relationship with him. When we get to 1 Peter, we learn something different. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Let me, let me stop for just a second because this word priesthood is dripping with significance. Because up until the time of Jesus, what happened was, is the Jews understood a religious system that basically said, because you are sinful, you're separated from me. And the only people who can have access to me are these select group of people that I'm calling priests. And the only way you can be a priest is if you were born a son of Aaron. And if you were born a son of Aaron, then you have the right, the privilege, and the opportunity to get unique access, to get unique opportunity, to be able to experience things that nobody else gets to experience. But when Jesus showed up, what happened at the moment that he died is that the veil in the temple that separated the presence of God from normal people was torn in two from top to bottom. And God was saying, listen, I'm not operating like that anymore. I'm now making it possible that anybody who calls on the name of Jesus can be a child of God. John chapter one and verse 12 says, anyone who call in the name of Christ shall be called sons of God. And not just the sons of God, but you are enabled then to be in, uh, qualified as a priest of the Almighty God, which means that all of the privileges that were afforded to the priests of the Old Testament are now translated and imbued upon you as a follower of Jesus. You are not just a sinner, you are saved and you are a child of God and you are called a holy nation and a royal priesthood. He says, that you are his own special people, that you can proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
Theologians refer to this as the priesthood of the believers, which basically says that anyone who is a believer in Jesus is in the priesthood because you have been born into and adopted into the family tree of Jesus. I hear oftentimes people say, you know, um, there's certain things I can't do, pastor. You know, you're a holy man. That always freaks me out, by the way. You're a holy holy person. You're a pastor, or maybe you think that way, you know, you're priest, or there's certain denominations that try to portray the idea that there's some sort of separation between pastors and and the rest of y'all. And I'm here to tell you that as a pastor, I, I don't have any special access to God that is more than what you have. You go, yeah, but you know, let's be honest, that doesn't really mean a lot, I don't know you. You've only been a pastor for like three years. You know, you're leaving and never see you again. Let me frame it differently. Pastor Phil does not have any additional access to God than what you have. But he's given you the same access and the same opportunity. And not only this, that Jesus invites us in this incredible opportunity, 2 Corinthians 5. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And notice what it says. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. There's that word again. He invites us into the ministry of seeing more people reconciled to Jesus. What does that mean? It means that, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses or, 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 or basically not accusing or laying the weight of all of the evidence of all of their wrongdoing upon you, but instead in Christ he has forgiven all of that and has committed to us, anyone who's trusted in Jesus, the word of reconciliation. Now then, we as ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, this is what God says to us, the way that God is inviting us to live our lives, this ministry of reconciliation, that we can live our lives in such a way that, I'm, that we can basically declare to the world, I'm not special, I'm a nobody, it doesn't matter about me, but I gotta tell you about where I was and, and what happened. I gotta tell you about how Jesus introduced, was introduced to me. I gotta tell you about how Jesus changed my life, how he forgave me of everything that is in my past. And through the way that I live my life and I interact with the world around me, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. But here's what so many Christians miss. So many Christians somehow believe that the significant, the crescendo of the purpose of our relationship with Jesus happened at the moment of our salvation and it's all less than from that point forward. No, that's not how it works. You see, your salvation is just the beginning of the journey and the greatest things that God wants to do starts at salvation, but it only gets better from there. You see, Jesus did not die on the cross and raised from the grave and set you free from your sin and your shame and your guilt and your condemnation and all of the stuff that you would never tell a soul about in your worst moments so that you can sit back and relax and go, woo-wee, I ain't going to hell. Thank you, Jesus. No, see, that's not why he did it. Jesus did all of that to set you free, and he set you free so that you can realize that you are a minister of reconciliation, and he unleashes you upon the world to declare with your life and with your actions, let me tell you about the one who changed everything for me. But you see, Jesus doesn't just do that and leave you on an island and go, good luck. <laughs> no, what Jesus does is he, he gives you everything you need in every situation you can ever be in to do whatever it is he's called you to do. Right. Ephesians puts it this way, Ephesians 1.3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about when we are anointed with the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of us and he gives us these spiritual gifts, stuff that we didn't know that we had and stuff he gives us that's new, that makes it so that we can be about the stuff that God has called us to do. When you begin living this way, you're gonna find that you're gonna be in conversations and situations where you're gonna be quoting verses you didn't even know you had memorized. You're gonna be talking about things that you didn't even know was in the Bible. You're gonna be able to counsel and comfort and encourage some people and you're gonna walk away going, I need to write something down because that was really good. (laughs) Can I tell you that happens to me a lot when I'm preaching? 
Stuff I didn't even prepare for, but God has empowered me in this moment to communicate his word to a group of people for a specific time. And every once in a while, God will drop something in there that wasn't in my notes. And I'm like, I wish I wasn't preaching right now. I need to write that down because I need that. And so because he gifts us and he empowers us to do what he's called us to do. When we get to Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, and we read, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. You know what this means? It means that everything about you was on purpose. Your gifts and your interests, your talents and abilities, the resources that you have, even all the way down to the idiosyncrasies that your spouse looks at you and go, mm, my goodness, but I still love them. Can I tell you this? Even all the way down to the things that happen to you in your darkest moment, the Spirit of God and the power of the light of Jesus shines through all of that to paint a beautiful picture because you were created on purpose for a purpose and everything that you have was specifically given to you so that you could eventually find your place and accept the invitation to the movement of Jesus so that Jesus can use you in ways that he cannot use anybody else in the room. And it gets even better. Romans chapter eight, verse 11 says this, if the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, from death lives in you, then he who raised Christ from death will also give life to your mortal bodies by the presence of his spirit in you. I wanna, I'm concerned that sometimes we get so deep into the weeds on things that we don't connect the dots of the bigger picture that God is trying to paint. And I wanna try to do that to you today. What this is telling us, what, what the, the scriptures are telling us from what we're unpacking today is that the same spirit that fell upon Aaron and his sons to be the priests of God is the same spirit that fell upon the judges to lead the nation of Israel and fight in military situations. It's the same spirit that came upon every king of Israel, including David, that enabled him to be able to defeat Goliath and win victories. It's the same spirit that fell upon the prophets of the Old Testament. It's the exact same spirit that fell upon the apostle Paul and the disciples as they went across the world telling the world about Jesus. It's the same spirit that brought Jesus Christ from out of the grave. And it is the same spirit that lives in you. So listen, when, when, the, when, when the devil will try to convince you in that moment, in that situation, at some point this week, when you're trying to live sin, either what the church is doing and, and you're going and participating in that, or you're trying to live sin in your workplace and you have that moment, that feeling that it says, I'm not qualified, I'm not capable, I don't have what it takes. Listen, I want you to understand that the movement of Jesus has not advanced for 2,000 years just because there are great churches with great preaching and great worship and great kids ministry and a bunch of Life has all of that. The movement of Jesus has continued through common, ordinary, unimpressive, unqualified people whose lives were wrecked by the reality that Jesus came to find them, to love them so they can experience and encounter the love of God. They were rich and they were poor. They were young and they were old. They were teachers and tax collectors and physicians and prostitutes and children, all of them just willing to say, God, you changed my life. And so I will do whatever it is that you want me to do to move forward. All you need to be qualified to be a part of the ministry and the movement of Jesus is your story. And everywhere that Jesus sends you, you will find the Spirit of God there. And he will give you everything you need to do everything that he has called you to do. You say, man, I don't know this idea of being a minister, man, that seems like it sure is asking a lot. And it is. But here's what we need to understand. The life that Jesus wants for you is not a life of less, it's a life of more. Now that can get twisted in some bad theology. So y'all don't tell Phil that I'm preaching that health, wealth, gospel, name it, claim it stuff, because that's not what I'm talking about. Here's what I want you to see. Jesus talked about it in John 15. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. You see, 
when you begin to recognize that Jesus has called you to be a minister, then you begin to realize that this philosophy that you never truly live until you die, this idea that Jesus talked about with the grain of wheat that must die and fall, you see, those are things that he's speaking to you and to me today. And he says, listen, I'm not asking you to open up your hands and let me have something so that I can take something from you. I want your life to bear fruit. I want you to know that every day that you wake up and you walk into the kitchen, you walk into your workplace, you walk into your community or the gym or the post office or Starbucks or wherever it is that you go, that where you go today matters and that you can make a difference. I want you to understand that you are a minister of Jesus and I want your life to bear fruit. And I want you to notice this. He goes on in verse 11. He says this, and these are the things that I've spoken to you, that my joy, the joy that I have can be in you and that your joy may be full. You see, here's what we need to understand today, that when it comes to the invitation to join the movement of Jesus, God doesn't want something from you. You see, he wants something for you. He wants you to experience what it means to live a life where there is an abundant harvest. He wants you to experience what it looks like for your home, for your family to produce spiritual fruit. He wants you to experience what it looks like for your place of business to not be just about a bottom line and goals and a paycheck, but about the people that God has sent you there to show the love of Jesus to. You see, that's what it means to live sent. And so the stuff that you're doing this week as a church, I think it's so awesome. This church is organized and, and I want you to understand the purpose of what they're doing isn't so that you'll show up and do a thing at a specific slotted time this week. The hope is that you would see that what happens this week is a catalyst for you to live like this on the regular so that you can be a minister, so that Christ's joy could be in you and that your joy would be full. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me in every room, every campus today? If you're here today and you know Jesus and have a relationship with him, I wanna, wanna encourage you maybe to make your seat right now, your own personal little altar where you can talk to God. And maybe you would just ask the question, God, what does it look like for me to live open-hearted and obedient this week? What is the time, the talent, and the treasure that I'm holding on to? I'm hoarding. What's the relationship that I'm hoarding? What's the situation that I'm holding on to that I need to let go of? Allow it to die and fall so that you can bring some fruit from it. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just kind of want to release you right now to spend some time in prayer with the Lord. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, Man, can I just tell you that the best news about Jesus is that he loves you. And regardless maybe of what you've come to believe and what you've learned about other churches and other Christians, there's been a lot of churches, a lot of Christians have done a really good job of painting a really bad picture of who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't come to point his finger of condemnation. You know, John 3:16 says, for God so loved the world, he gave his best. He gave his only son for you. The next verse is my favorite when it says, for the Son of Man did not come to condemn the world. You see, Jesus isn't looking at you and your worst moment and your story and your background and your baggage and your history and your past and pointing a finger of condemnation at you. No, you see, I believe that Jesus is here today and he would want you to see that his arms are wide open to love you and to hold you and to embrace you so that you can see that he didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him, the world, including you, could be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin? Saved from your past? Saved from bad decisions? Saved from bondage from sin? That's why he came. And that's how the movement has continued because people have experienced that and told somebody else. And I'm here today as living proof. And I'm telling you, Jesus loves you. So if you don't know Christ, listen, I, I hope that you'll see that you're in good company here. But I just wanna invite you to repeat a prayer after me. There's nothing magical about the words. It's, it's really all about the condition of your heart. You can say it right there in the quietness of your seat. It's something like this, dear Jesus, I've made so many mistakes. I've screwed up so many things. I've got a past and I've got baggage. 
but I believe that you love me. And I'm willing to take a step of faith today to believe that you love me like that man says you do. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave to give me a new life. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you be the Lord of my life? Would you make me a new creation and put me on a new trajectory? Listen, if you prayed that prayer today, I want you to know I'm so excited for you that there's rejoicing happening in heaven. There's people at the front of the rooms that would love to talk to you. You can go meet the staff at the story room. We'd love to help you understand what it means to follow Jesus. Listen, I wanna pray for you. Campus pastors, won't you take it from here? And let me take a moment to pray with the people that are in this room. Jesus, we love you, we praise you. I thank you for every single person that's here. God, would they experience the power and the transformation of Jesus? God, would you help them to see that the movement began with your resurrection and it continues by continuing to hold on to this idea that we don't really truly live until we die. Die to our sin, die to ourself, die to our stuff. Would you help us this week to go and be the kinds of people that proclaim the praises of Jesus so that more people can know about him? We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. Listen, church, it's so good to be with you today. There's people right here at the front that would love to come talk to you about your relationship with Jesus or you can meet us at the story room. Listen, go out this week, go shine bright in the light of Jesus and go make a difference in this world. Love you guys. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.